Welcome to DeLorean Talk, episode number four. This is your host, Dave Tavers. Today we have a guest who I ran across from the DeLorean Fanatics Facebook group, and uh, he has some great posts, and I especially liked the picture that he had posted uh, a couple of weeks ago of him in front of a DeLorean when he was 11 years old, and then again uh, with, I, I assume, holding his daughter in front of his DeLorean. And that just struck me as awesome that somebody uh, just like me would have that passion for so many years and finally get to get his car. So today we have with us Mark Dellinger. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Like I always say, I am a new owner, so I'm looking for these conversations to be just friendly and open, and I want you to teach me things. I want everybody I talk to to teach me and share their stories because there are so many fantastic DeLorean stories out there, whether it be car shows or how people picked up their car or those experiences with the public and guests, all kinds of different things. And I want DeLorean Talk to be that, to just be a, a place that all the DeLorean fans can hear the stories and hopefully a bunch of people can share the stories. So I usually start off by asking, how long have you had your car? I bought my car in October of 2008. 2008, so eight, what, eight years now? Yeah, pretty close to eight years. Uh, I actually picked it up on Halloween. October 31st, do you remember the day? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I also remember it too because the very next day after I uh, brought my car back from Ohio where I bought it, I live in Wisconsin, um, we got like three feet of snow the next day. So I bought it, put it in my garage, and then didn't get to drive it until spring. <laughs> oh, yeah, that stinks. Hey, but at least you got it back before the snow. Yeah, that would have been really tough, you know, trying to drive through that storm to get home. So I was pretty lucky that I made it back. And you drove it back to Wisconsin from Ohio. Yeah, I had originally found my car on com back when it was a .com site and talked with the owner for a couple of weeks and um, I have a friend that lives out in Ohio and he went and looked at the car went for you know, a test drive and kind of checked it out a little bit. Basically told me it was the nicest car that he'd seen. He He's not like a DeLorean expert by any means, my friend. But I was interested enough to rent a car and drive it out to Ohio, and everything checked out, so I bought the car and drove it back to Wisconsin. How far? I don't know my geography. How far is that? It's around 500 miles. It took about eight hours. Nice. And no problems on the way back, huh? No, I was... Uh, Pretty lucky in that regard, but I had kind of done my homework with the car itself, and the owner was really, you know, forthcoming about every past, present, and, you know, possible future issue that he thought he'd have with the car. So, I mean, I was very confident in my ability to make it back. He'd given me some sample files of his records. He bought the car, I think, in 2001, yeah. and in that time frame between 2001 and 2008, he had accumulated this humongous binder of every time he'd changed the oil and every time he turned a wrench to loosen the nut and retighten it, you know, he had documented all of that. So nice. one of those rare cars where it had that level of documentation. And nice. that was part of the reason that I was interested in it. Now, do you think being a, you're not a new owner, but you are a newer owner. Uh, do you think going forward with all of us next generation or second, third, fourth owners, do you think we're all going to keep our cars like that where we keep track of every detail? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I think a lot of owners now are more leaning towards that because they kind of see the car as a lifelong investment. And if they do ever decide to sell it, people see the value in maintaining those records and 
yeah. you know, having that to present to the next possible future owner. Right. And I kind of, you know, followed in, you know, the footsteps of the guy that, you know, bought the car from. I took all of his paper files and turned it into a spreadsheet. And, you know, I've, all the work that I've done to my car, I've documented along with his previous records to at least have records back to 2001. Prior to that, I really don't know a whole lot about the car. Hmm. And he didn't know either He beyond that. No, he bought it from a, it was a local dealership. And the car only had 6,000 miles on it when he bought it. And so it had been stored at some point indoors because the interior was basically mint when he purchased it. There were some issues with like the fuel system and um, some wiring issues, like all the you know relays and stuff like that. He he basically did all the hard work for me in getting it mechanically running really well and you know to a reliable status. And then I kind of took it from there to you know take care of any more cosmetic issues or some of the more mechanical chassis-related issues that the car had. Nice. Oh, that's lucky. My car was sitting in a garage for 27 years and. Much had not been done with it. It had been driven yeah. until they burned out the clutch, and then it just sat there. Yeah. And they did not have any records. They were very nice. The woman that owned it, they tried giving me everything they had, but it was basically the the black little folder that has DeLorean on it and the, the dealer locations, and that was it. They didn't have much yeah. else. Yeah, I mean, if it sat for 27 years, yeah. you know, at that point, it almost doesn't even matter because, you know, pretty much anything rubber needs replacing and, you know. Right. The fuel system probably had to be gone through either way. So Yeah, and luckily I live right next door to DMC California. In my mind, there was no question I was taking it there. So they they did everything to get it all up to date. But during the time that the first owner had it, uh, she obviously didn't, didn't get the clutch fixed. Uh, and I don't know what else she might have had done. I, I feel like there was one point where looking at the valve stems on the tires one of the valve stems is different than the other the other three so i think she might have gotten a tire replaced or something uh, because they have the big black rubber one rather than the metal ones oh yeah so that's other than that i haven't dmc didn't tell me anything that they thought had been messed with on the car before and uh, it all looks nice and clean it is a little bit like archaeology trying to you know <laughs> Trying to backtrack back it. Figure out what, you know, what's original, what's not, what's been updated. Yeah. You know, some parts, you know, like on my car, it had, you know, a, um, a specialty auto sticker on it, like on the, oh. uh, the clutch, <laughs> the clutch master. So I'm like, well, that's been replaced once, you know, like you, I mean, some of that stuff wasn't in the records that were provided, but I was able to figure out a little bit more just by, you know, looking and comparing to what something, you know, is stock versus something. Like yeah. you said, like a valve stem that's, you know, originally supposed to be metal and, you know, the one oddball. Right. Now, are you a mechanic or are, are you do you work on cars regularly or every once in a while? Um, I'm not an actual mechanic. A mechanic on the weekends, you know, working on my cars. Um, right on. I'm an engineer. Uh, that's my profession. So I design uh, chassis components for fire and rescue vehicles. Wow. That's cool. So you're familiar already with generally cars and how they work and yeah, what goes where. Yeah, you know, that was part of the reason for wanting to buy the DeLorean was wanting something that was in good shape, but something that I could also, you know, tinker with on the weekends. And yeah. if, I, if I wanted to, you know, try and improve or upgrade things as I go along. You know what you're doing. And you can't really do that on a Ferrari, <laughs> on a new Ferrari. Yeah, anyway. I don't know if I want to on a Ferrari. It's like <laughs> you, you develop a certain comfort level working on cars as you start out and as you progress things that you would do 
on a DeLorean you might not want to do on a Ferrari just because right. if you do happen to mess something up, the penalty you pay is a lot cheaper. <laughs> right, a hundred times the cost. Someone else fix it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so far, and I grew up working on cars, and uh, I got taught by a bunch of different people. I have replaced rear ends on cars, and I've never done a full engine swap, but I've done a lot of stuff. But I haven't done any of that stuff in 25 years. So I'm. it's a little daunting to think about doing some of the work on the DeLorean myself. But then I'm also lazy in that I have DMC nearby, like really within yeah. within 20 minutes. It's not a – when I say nearby, it's not a two-hour drive. They're really close by. I could get my – if I screw something up, I could have the car trailered over there and, or, you know, towed over there and have them fix it, even though I don't want to be one of those guys. It's like, oh, I tried, you know, replacing the clutch, and now I want you to <laughs> fix the problem. The the amazing thing now is pretty much anything that you want to do, like someone has done it, they've done a DIY, there's a video on YouTube, and it's it's yeah. pretty easy to find the information. And if the information's not out there, you can ask, <laughs> and someone will most likely be able to help you. So. Yeah, DMC Talk. I've, I have followed the car for decades, and it is very different owning one, but I have read and seen all the stuff people have done, and especially in the last 10 years as social media and – people got have been far more comfortable with the web there's so much more out there on every detail so i was more and more excited after i bought the car and dropped it off at dmc or after they came and picked it up i spent obviously a lot more time looking at the technical and the mechanical things and realized that wow that there's nothing here that is uh undoable or unreachable by a normal person dmc just happens to have every single tool and they do it all the time they know everything everything to do and all the little tricks far better yeah. than most other people. So that's why I was like, well, I'll have them do it. And one of these days when I uh, have something that I want to save some money or something that I can do, like the bushing, the steering bushing, uh, I bought the, yeah, I bought the bushing that. from them and I, I want to do it, but there's also a little fear factor there of, you know, pulling the, <laughs> pulling the whole steering column out and, you know, undoing everything I, honestly, I don't. That have was really a... not as bad as you think it is. I've done that one twice now. Actually, the first time, I didn't actually pull the whole steering column. I just cut the bushing because it was one of the uh, DMC Houston. They're like a hard rubber bushing. Yeah. So you just put a slice in with a like an exacto knife or something, and you can. Uh -huh. I didn't actually have one when I bought the car. There was no steering column bushing. The steering column was just rattling around in there. Yep. So I bought one and put one in, and it was. I knew it was kind of going to be a temporary measure until I really started, you know, digging into some of the other mechanical components. Like I completely rebuilt my steering rack. So oh, wow. I kind of waited until then to, you know, once I had to pull the steering column anyway for that. So sure. at that point I put, you know, a bushing in there that didn't have a cut in it. Right. Well, yeah, if you want to, you can put a new one in in about 20 minutes if you, you know, have a little patience and pop it in with a, like a rubber mallet, you can get it in there. Okay, so I've actually bought two of the bushings from DeLorean because the first one, I did exactly that. I, I cut it, the hard rubber, thinking that, oh, yeah, no problem. I can crawl underneath and squeeze it into there, just whether it's temporary or not. They're, they're pretty cheap. They're, I don't know, 10 or $15. Yeah. And I thought, even if I screwed up, it's 10 or 15 bucks. It's not a $100 item. Right. I spent 15 minutes trying to wriggle myself underneath there and push it on until finally I broke it in half. <laughs> like, okay, so I went and bought another one thinking, well, one of these days I'll actually follow the great printed instructions that they have, pull out the column and do it correctly. And unfortunately, 
I'm looking at the bushing and the instructions right now, and I still haven't done it. So my column always is rattling whenever I'm driving, and it's driving me crazy. And it's not that I'm ultra cheap. I, I just feel like that's something that everybody has said I can do, and I, I don't want to take it to, to DMC and have them do it. I want to do it. I just need to you know commit the time and get some tools. Yeah, that is part of the battle, too, is having a good set of tools. I worked on my previous cars before I bought the DeLorean, so I had a pretty decent set to start with, but I definitely accumulated some along the way where you you know, you might get stuck and realize, man, it'd be really great to have a hydraulic press for this. You know, <laughs> right. Harbor Freight hundred dollar, you know, yeah. hand operated one. Um it, you know, like air chisel or something, you know, it's right. stuff like that that, you know, pays itself back in spades, you know, having the right tool for the job versus yeah trying to cobble something together. Yep. And, and literally I could walk to the Harbor Freight in about 15 minutes on that close to one. <laughs> so that's also dangerous. <laughs> so you really have no excuse then. What's your problem? I know. <laughs> I know. Well, what, you've only been an owner for what, like six or seven months, you said? Yeah, January. Bought it last year? Yeah. January? Bought, okay. bought it, actually bought it on my birthday, November 6th, and then picked it up mid-January from DMC when it was all ready. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think in one of your other online blog, web blogs, you mentioned you went to the uh, Back to the Future Day at the Punta Hills Mall. Yeah. And like a week later, you bought your car. Yeah, completely unplanned. That was very exciting and fun. And the funny thing is, I they had a bunch of time machines there and somebody was letting people get in and take a picture. So I took my picture sitting in the time machine at Punta Hills Mall, posted it online, and Several friends jokingly said, oh, did you buy a DeLorean finally? Because uh, everybody I know knows that I wanted one forever. I was like, no, I wish. And then a week later, I did. Although I did not tell anybody. Well, that's not true. I didn't tell anybody that I regularly come in contact with. None of the people in my office knew, even though I had DeLorean, I had DeLorean models on my desk and DeLorean stuff all the time. Everybody in the office knew that I'm a DeLorean geek, and in all my friends and family in L.A., I didn't tell anybody. I told my friends that lived in other states that were hardcore um, either car people or back to the future nuts, and mm-hmm. and I said, do not tell anybody because I wanted to be a surprise. And also, I didn't want to be that guy that said, hey, I bought a DeLorean. Everybody's like, oh, let's see it. Oh, well, it's not running right now. <laughs> Yeah, wait until it moves under its own power, and then yeah, and then, and then I told people, people. just show up in it, and then everyone knows that it's running. And that's exactly what I did. I I uh, did that with a lot of people, where I'd say, "Hey, you want to give me a hand? I got to get something out of the car," or I'd say, "Oh, hey, I'm driving up front. Can you meet me out front?" And I'd pull up the car. Very fun. Yeah. Although when I took it to the office, we had a big team lunch. Everybody, we were all leaving the building, going across the street, and so there was a lot of people walking out front. I had the car parked out front. Everybody loved it, and then I go to start it. I'd only had the car literally four or five days. I killed the battery. I'd left the doors oh, open, no. and it still had the incandescence, and I'd left the running lights on, and it's, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'd killed the battery in that short amount of time, and I didn't know. Of course, now I've got – I bought all the LED kits and yeah, uh, yeah. all that, so – Did you get just the standard, uh, like, the little push-in replacements, or did you buy sets from uh, Tom, the guy in Poland, that did the little uh, LED boards? Um, no, I, I, I bought the, the kit from DMC. Okay. Yeah. Those are the ones that I started out with. And then it bothered me enough that it's, oh, it's just one little speck of light in the middle of the lens. And so there's this guy in Poland named Tom that makes like all this awesome stuff. I can't remember the name of his website, but he's on DMC talk.org. Okay. Uh, and he like way over engineers all this stuff. And it, 
it's a little circuit board that fits perfectly inside the little rubber housing for the door lights. I and have it's seen got, that. I think, four LEDs on each. And so you can put a little diffuser on it, and you actually get light completely right. covering the lens instead of just a little spot of light. But, nice. And that's for the door markers? Yep. And the, he's actually working on some for the um, like the marker lights on the outside of the car as well. So that's like his next project uh, nice. that he's working on. Nice. That's the other awesome thing about DeLorean ownership is that there's so many people, like there's another guy named Dave on DMC Talks. That, I mean, he does like replacement relay modules and lighting modules and stuff. And he's just a guy in his garage, you know, designing this stuff. And then the support from other owners is just tremendous. Nice. Basically has this as a side job where he just manufactures these parts and, you know, is able to make a little bit of money on the side and solve some of the problems that everyone has with their car. It's like the RPM relay. That's the one I'm thinking of that he made like a solid state RPM relay. Wow. And just some other really cool stuff. So you just pull out the old one and plug the new one in? Yeah, you pull out the old one, plug the new one in. Uh, for the lighting system, he's got like a dimmer module that can program it. So, you know, when he closes the doors, there's very varying degrees of, you know, the lights going from full on to dim. And he did a um, like a printed circuit board for the light panel behind the uh, AC controls. Yeah. So instead of, you know, just popping in little LEDs there, He's got like a custom circuit board. So like when your fans are running, the little icon for the fan next to the fan switch like spins in a circle. Really? Or like, uh, it's just stuff like that where it's just awesome. I mean, it's probably expensive. I don't have one of those in my car. Wow. But, you know, he does it in blue LEDs and green LEDs and stuff like that. I have seen a lot of the stuff on DMC Talk. I, like you have spent tons of time on there, but I've not, I haven't seen that one. There's so much information on that site. Yeah, I'll have to. I can shoot you an email later with the, the yeah. page or whatever where he advertises all his products. But yeah, that'd be. Great. I mean, those are the kind of things where, like, you know, before I bought a DeLorean, I was kind of aware of like the Zilla products, and those yeah. aren't really that popular anymore because they stopped making them. But like the Fanzilla sequencer for the yeah. fans, so it, you know, switches yeah. one on, then the second one, and then so you don't overload your circuits with too many amps. Um, yeah. I think there's a uh, Lockzilla and yeah. Fuel Tank one. The previous owner of my car bought all that stuff, you know, in the early 2000s. Even that guy, Rob Zilla, like, he was one of the pioneers of that kind of, you know, next-level engineering on the car to kind of resolve some of those nagging problems that, you know, the original owners, you know, will tell you, man, I, you know, I remember the door lock solenoids locking up on my car and you yeah. know, getting stuck inside or burning out the solenoids and then it doesn't work. Yep. There just wasn't enough time to engineer out some of those faults. When the cars are in production, you know, the fans and the the owners have stepped up to kind of basically fix any remaining little issues with the car. Right. Wow. Well, that's great that you are a mechanical guy and you've spent a lot of time uh, with the car and working on it. Going back to your, like I said, that picture of you when you were 11. Yeah. Is that... At that point, did you just think it was a cool car? Or did you think you wanted to buy one? Or when did you decide you wanted one, and how long did it take you to find it? Well, that picture, um, I was already a DeLorean fan at that point, um, and I'd never seen one in person. I think the first time I watched the Back to the Future films was, you know, several years before that. I was born in 1984, so, you know, <laughs> I wasn't really exposed to the films until they were out on VHS. I think the first one I actually saw was part three, and then, you know, had to watch them all in order after I saw that. But, <laughs> right, um, right. I was at this, it was a fly-in actually at the local airport. And the guy that owned the DeLorean stored it in this airplane hangar. 
Um, and it was just, it was like marked off behind this yellow caution tape, like you see in the picture. Yeah. And it was just sitting there like, you know, that's where he stored it, you know, when he wasn't driving it. And I, I came to find out later that, you know, he drives it, you know, once or twice a year just to get it out, um, to go to a couple car shows locally. So I'm 11, I see the car and it was awesome. I was super excited. And then it kind of faded out of my memory for a little while, but then the internet, you know, was just kind of in its infancy then. But I remember logging on and like the first thing I searched for, like when we got internet access was DeLorean stuff. <laughs> and so I found like uh, Tamir had his website yeah. um, enter my world, you know, back in the day. And I think it's still up. It's just been it you know, revised a million times. Yeah. And there were a couple other cars. This wasn't until later, I think like early, early 2000s. I don't know if you've ever seen the Project Vixen website. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Project Vixen. The, oh, guy, the guy that stripped Dave, it down to every bolt and nut he bought it actually completely disassembled right, um, right the previous owner like i think he even disassembled the alternator like he's like oh yeah i'm gonna fix it up so he just took <laughs> took the entire car apart <laughs> and then it ended up in a shed and like his widow ended up selling it to this guy that lives in ohio for, for like five thousand dollars or i mean something yeah, super I cheap i remember what he bought it for it was really cheap yeah but i mean you look at his running total of you know i think he ended up putting close to 30 grand in it to put yeah. it back together yep um but that took from, I think it was like 2000 or 1999 to like 2004. And like, I would follow his like weekly updates, you know, as he was <laughs> putting this DeLorean back together. And that was really cool. And there's another guy too. Um, he's not on the board so much now, but uh, his name is, his username is Proto DeLorean. And he's the guy that did like the totally custom wide body. Um, he bought a painted car. I think it was black originally. And now it's got like kind of a matte black exterior finish. Hmm. Not sure if you're familiar with that car, but he kind of did the same thing where he his was more customized. It wasn't like you know rebuilding it back to stock condition. He really just kind of went the other direction with making a custom car. Yeah. And so both of those projects were happening kind of at the same time, and that that piqued my interest again. And then when I was in college, you know, between like well 2004 2007, was planning my career and planning my my life after college and thinking you know what should I do once I get a job and you know I been wanting to buy this DeLorean forever and it took me about a year after I graduated and got my job building fire trucks to save up some money and to look around and find you know the right car for me because everybody you know talks about wanting to find that perfect unicorn DeLorean that meets all of their requirements yep so I didn't look that hard for a year but um you know kind of on and off just trolling eBay and Craigslist kind of like you mentioned you did um just had some searches out there for stuff right um, and just randomly, you know, it was probably September, stumbled across that car on the uh, UNC Talk forum and then got going back and forth with the owner and ended up buying that car. I, I knew that I wanted the car. It was just a matter of getting the finances in order. And it was really nice to have my friend, you know, go take a look at it before I invested in, uh, you know, a rental car to drive out there, you know, plane tickets to fly out there. Sure. It's funny though, because like uh, Dave Swingle at DNC Midwest always says, the plane ticket to go out to to look at a car and not buy it is you know the cheapest, yeah, <laughs> the cheapest expense you'll have instead of buying a basket case DeLorean and, <laughs> and spend a, a thousand times the cost of that plane ticket because you didn't go look at it. Yeah. So I actually got really lucky. I didn't I didn't really look at a whole lot of cars in person before I settled on the one that I ultimately ended up buying. But it was such a great car, and like I, I met the previous owner uh, at the Sandusky Airport in Ohio, 
um, and kind of just walked around it and looked at it and checked out the frame and it was running perfectly and just the way that the owner had maintained the car like he was super anal retentive about like keeping it clean and he had all the records and he let me drive it from the airport back to his place wow and that's where you know did the final deal and you know, we didn't really negotiate on price much. I pretty much gave him what he was asking because it was fair. Sure. You know, I think I spent like three or four hours there going through like all the paperwork that he had and all the little quirks. And yeah, I think he was a little hesitant to say goodbye to it. <laughs> yeah, I drove it away and I spent the night there in Ohio and then got up the next morning and uh, drove it back to Wisconsin. How about that? Did you stay in a hotel that night? I stayed at my friend's house. He was just, he was probably like a half hour away from Sandusky. So nice. that worked out perfectly. And of course, you know, they were all like geeking out about it. They're like, you bought a DeLorean? Like, why would you do that? Because people who don't really know anything about them, they just think they're this weird old car. And yeah. so until you really like start digging into the history and like, that's the other thing too. Like, it's one of the very few cars that has that just amazing story. Um, like I was listening to the Barry Wills, the guy, the purchasing manager from DMCL and just hearing his story yeah. about the car and reading Nick Sutton's book it's just amazing, you know, what went into, you know, that 28-month period yeah. of basically a cow pasture to this crazy factory that's pumping on DeLoreans. The DeLorean has a far better story than, I think, any car out there that's, yeah. that's a production car. It's not the one-offs. I don't think any other car compares when you talk about history. Do you uh, do you share your VIN number? Yeah, it's uh, 6125. 6125. I ask that because uh, some people out there, uh, are online at least, have seemed to have been paranoid about sharing their VIN number if they're posting the car for sale, and I've never understood why. Um, I see, I still follow all the cars that go up for sale, and sometimes they don't have a VIN, and I'll email and say, hey, what's the VIN? And they say, oh, I don't share that. And that's not once. That's yeah. probably been a half a dozen times. And I, I don't argue with them, but I don't understand because – these cars are so super unique. Uh, who's going to steal a VIN number and then put it onto a different type of car or onto a different DeLorean? I'm not. I'm not understanding that concern. I'm right with you. I, I have no idea why anyone would want to hide the VIN of their car. I mean, you can walk right up to it and read it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's basically public knowledge. You know yeah. what the VIN is. So six one two five. That's fairly low number. Is that an August eighty one build? It's a November build. Oh, it's a November build. Uh, and that actually was built in the highest production month or the, you know, if you look at the little graph of, you know, the production, I think October and November were the two big yeah. months for production. So in 81. you have, your, your VIN number is 6125 and you have a yep. November 81 build. Yep. My car is an October 81 build. But my VIN number is ten five one five. That's crazy. I thought all the ten series cars were eighty twos. So my well, my model year is eighty two, but the VIN plate says October eighty one build. Really? So I wonder if that wasn't because that car, you know, got pulled off of line for some reason and happened more frequently early in production, where if a car had some kind of issue, you know, they'd pull it aside and they'd fix it later, and you know, for whatever reason. The VIN tag was stamped with the month build. They didn't finish building it until later on in 82. Oh. 
I don't know, they didn't reassign any of the 10,000 series VINs. If you look at any cars that have a 17,000 series VIN, I believe some of those were originally 12,000 series VINs yeah. that were re And I'm not an expert by any means on the chronology of the production, but there's websites that talk about ad nauseum if you're really interested in it. I've And I've read a lot of those. That's why this is confusing, that you have a, a far lower VIN than I do, but my car was built before yours quote-unquote, you know, yeah. according to that plate. And I don't know how those plates were done either. Maybe the maybe the plates were the last step of the car. And, for example, my car got started in October 81, but didn't get finished until late 82 or something. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Huh. I do know that, like, the 6,000 series VINs, they pretty much fit right in that November time frame. The 5,000 series cars are in October. Um, huh. And that's where the you know the Back to the Future correct cars are October VINs because they were the the gray manual transmissions that still had the door pull straps but right. you know, had the groove hood but or still had the clock and you know it's yeah. it's kind of interesting too if you're like a geek about all the various differences um, just how many changes there were during production and how those overlapped yeah and well earlier we were talking about how you know trying to find that perfect car that you really want. And my list was pretty specific because I did want a gray interior with a manual transmission, but I wanted the integrated door pull straps, but I still wanted a clock and I wanted a power antenna. And like, I found out later on that after I bought my car, there were like, it was like less than a hundred cars that were in that tiny window of the 6,000 series bins that had all of those things. Well, did you get all the things you on your list? I did. Yeah. It just it worked perfectly. I don't know, like the DeLorean gods were smiling down upon me and, you know, plopped this car right in my lap right at the right time. So My list was pretty short. I, I specifically wanted a California car, born and raised and slept in California. No offense, I didn't want it to be living back east at all. I did not want a fuel flap, and I did not want grooved hood, and I wanted to so you be... you wanted the flat hood. That's interesting. I wanted the flat hood, and I wanted the manual. And those, what, four things... Yeah, I mean, and tons of cars went to California, so that's yeah. yeah. And living in California, it's easier. That was a pretty easy list for you yeah. to find the right car that met your needs or requirements. Up until recently, I mean, the value hasn't really changed a whole lot. You know, in yeah. you know twenty twenty five years, you know, everyone was thinking that Back to the Future Day last year would bring this huge surge in prices. And I mean, I guess you bought your car around that time frame, so you know you were one more owner that bought them, but. You know, it's interesting to see how the values and the trends change over time. At the same time, and like I've said in my origin story for the car, the owners that sold the car, they were just, they were well off, they did not need the money, and they just wanted to move it. So I got extremely lucky finding a car for, I say, eight to 10000 less than what it should have gone for. Uh, it had nothing to do with Back to the Future Day. The guy was just in town helping his parents. The son was in town helping his parents do some property cleanup and selling some other stuff and, and getting rid of the car. And it just happened that I was the first one to respond to his Craigslist post. Yeah. And that, that seems to be a common thing too, where, you know, if you find a great deal like that, you just need to jump on it instantly. Otherwise it's going to be gone. Like yeah. you mentioned before, there was one other person that was looking at the car before you did. Before and I you got there. why they, you know, if they were even remotely serious in getting a car, like why they would have turned on something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was shocking when the guy called and said, come over and look at it. I immediately said, oh, the, something's wrong with it. Because if if somebody was already there looking at it and they took that long and they didn't buy it, 
there's no way I'm buying this car. There's yeah, nothing what, wrong. What's the problem? But yeah, I mean, like you said, though, you know, if the tires were flat and it was covered in dust, some people have difficulty seeing past that. Sure. They may want a turnkey solution and didn't yeah. realize that a half hour down the road there's DMC California that in a span of a couple months bringing that car back to daily driver kind of status. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. And thankfully that's what it was. They were flippers and they clearly didn't really know the car. So I was lucky. It sounds like you've been driving your car regularly for the last eight years. Yeah, pretty regularly. There was about a year and a half period where I had it up on jack stands where I was doing a lot of chassis-related restoration stuff that I kind of mentioned. There wasn't anything seriously wrong with it. There, you know, It was an Ohio car. I don't know where it lived before then, but there was a little bit of rust just starting on the frame. It was mm. pretty decent, but the brake master cylinder started leaking, and it basically destroyed that whole area on the driver's side oh. where all the epoxy started flaking off. So yep. that was kind of the main reason. So you start rebuilding the brakes and then that leads to well the suspension's looking a little rusty too and they'll take that off and well I should really put some lowering springs on and it needs some new shocks and and the cooling system's original and the side tanks, you know, are starting to leak and like before you know it, I'm like basically I had removed everything off of the frame. I was gonna ask, did you actually in it, did you pull the frame out? Pretty much everything was off. No, I left the frame on the car. Okay. Which, you know, in retrospect it would have probably been easier just to pull the <laughs> right. the body off. But I didn't have to pull the engine, so I left that all intact. But pretty much everything else that touched the frame, I removed and sandblasted and powder coated and replaced all the bushings with polyurethane. Installed like the front control arm braces, the lower control arm braces, um, the lowering springs, bearings, shocks, steering rack, um, wow. port hoses, radiators, fans. Uh, fell the strut bar on the suspension. So like anything mechanical under the car that you can't see and no one else appreciates, those were the <laughs> things that I fixed. Well, that is your line of business. Yeah, it is. I mean, I guess it's what I know. And it part of the fun of driving the car is having it handle well and yeah. not have that crazy floaty feeling once you get above 75 miles an hour like some of the stock cars have. Because with the front end so high like that, I mean, it really did have kind of a scary feeling when you're going fast and all the upgrades really take care of that. Nice. So what is your favorite thing about owning and driving the DeLorean? You kind of mentioned it in your previous episodes was just the, the reaction and the smile that you get from other people. It really is about sharing the car. And like for so many years, I really wanted one and would have killed to, you know, see one on the street and, you know, talk to the owner for a few minutes and just yeah. learn more about it and to, like, pass that on to the next guy. Nice. In fact, last night I had gone to meet some friends uh, at a local restaurant, and I had taken the car because uh, one of them is from Florida, and she wanted to see the car. So I took the car over, showed her. She had, she loved it, came out from the restaurant that evening, and there was a note under the windshield wiper that asked if I was interested in selling my car to call the person. And I thought, I, you know, I have not seen that before on DMC Talk or any other website. I had not heard anybody else ever mention it. Was this the note that looked like a 12-year-old wrote it and they misspelled DeLorean? Yes, that? yes, yes. Oh, okay, I saw that, yeah. You saw that. Uh, yeah, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't draw any attention to that because part of me hopes it is a 12-year-old, but I, I think it might be more likely it's an adult. <laughs> So yeah, I'm with you. That's the that's the reason for me. But I'm always interested to find out if people, is it because of the history? Is it that they like the stainless steel look? Is it be specifically because of the Gullwing, or is do they want to convert it to a Speed Demon? 
and it sounds like we're on the same page. It's the the love of yeah. love of the look and the history and sharing it with other people. Yeah, it's just a super fun car to own and fun per dollar is like off the charts. Like you <laughs> yeah. can't really buy a more fun car for less. You you really got to like stretch your imagination to think of another car that you could pay a relatively small amount for yet have so much fun and yeah, bring so much joy to other people. I am a Back to the Future hardcore nerd, but I love the DeLorean, the look of it, the design of it. However, if I found a giant suitcase full of money, there's no doubt I would buy a second DeLorean and do a time machine conversion to it. <laughs> yeah, and I hear that from a lot of other people that are into Back to the Future, too. It's like they buy their first DeLorean and they make it as pristine as possible, thinking maybe they'll turn it into a time machine and then it's too nice to, you know, destroy that perfect car. It's like you almost got to go find some basket case and turn that one into a time machine so you don't feel bad about right. drilling huge holes in the panels and stuff. <laughs> and that's it. So you don't feel bad about destroying the car. Yeah. And some people, too, like there's a guy that lives pretty close by. He lives in Appleton, Wisconsin, where I work. And he did a non-invasive conversion to a time machine on his car and did a pretty amazing job of you know figuring out ways to mount parts to cure things to the body without drilling holes in it. So hmm. I give him mad props for that. Yeah, his name's uh, Matt Hissom. Matt Hissom, all right. Speaking of the Back to the Future car, um, you were one of the people that worked on the restoration of the A-car that is now at the Peterson Automotive Museum. Is that correct? I was indeed, yes. That is incredible. I did not know that before talking to you. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, like, what what it was that, you know, interested you and me in wanting to do this interview. And, I mean, I get it now with uh, seeing the picture of me when I'm, you know, 11 and then, you know, the picture now. I try not to, like, go around bragging about it, you know, like, hey, I restored the time machine. Like, usually, <laughs> you know, if I'm talking about DeLoreans, you know, it'll be my wife or, you know, my mother-in-law that says, tell them about the, the time machine, you know. <laughs> and I, you know, then I'll tell people about it. But it's an easy way to, to take a, you know, five-minute conversation and turn it into a half-hour conversation because, <laughs> you know, once people start asking questions, it leads to another question and another question. Yeah, and then, you exactly. know, before you know it, you're rambling on and on about it. I happen to be in kind of the right place at the right time to to meet up with Joe Walzer and a lot of the other very talented guys that were part of the, the restoration team. And like, even like I said before, you know, with buying my car, I was like, you know, fate stepped in to put me in the right place at the right time. And yeah. kind of the same thing with just getting to know all these guys and then being lucky enough for our team to have Bob Gale, you know, want to work with us to do the restoration. Yeah. Well, if you're willing, I definitely would like to do an episode in the future to talk more in depth about that because it'd be yeah. a, a fun fun show to do. But you mentioned your mother-in-law. What does your yes. family, uh, your wife, your uh, – I don't know if you have I, – I assume you have – well, it looks like you have one daughter. I don't know if you have multiple kids. Yep. Yeah, I just have the one daughter. Actually, I have another one on the way. Um, oh, congrats. But just the one for now. Yep, thank you. So what does your family think about the car? Is it just, oh, that's Mark's thing, or do they all love it? Do they like doing car shows with you? Or My wife really enjoys it. She likes uh, going to car shows occasionally. I don't do a whole lot of events with it, really. It's, you know, once once or twice a summer kind of thing. Last year for Back to the Future Day, I wasn't able to make it out to the We're Going Back event. I helped uh, plan the previous one in 2010, 
didn't have a whole lot to do with the second one. That was more Joe and uh, and Ken, but we just did like a local movie theater was showing Back to the Future Part Two, and they wanted a DeLorean up front. So you know, nice. Talked to my wife, and she was all into like, oh, let's go, and you know, we'll park out front, and yeah, everybody can see the car, and she kind of likes it for the same reason, where you get to just see other people's reactions, and it's yeah. fun. Nice. I'm more of a fly on the wall type of observer, you know, I'll park the car, you know, I might talk to a couple of people while I'm getting out, but then it's just, you know, kind of stand back and let everyone yep. else enjoy it and see how people react to it. And, <laughs> you know, if people have questions, they'll kind of look around and try to figure out who owns it. And, you know, usually <laughs> they can figure out it's me because, you know, I'm the one telling people like, like, oh, don't, don't put your handprint on the hood or, you know, just be nice to it. You know, I'm trying to let you, you know, get as close as possible to it. Well, not, you know, trying to have yeah. to bounce people out of there. But yeah, my wife really enjoys it. She loves going for rides in it because she likes, you know, how comfortable it is. And, yeah. you know, the seats are like, oh, my God, this is the most comfortable seat I've ever sat in. It's not intuitive. You really expect to be very uncomfortable, but it's a, it's a comfortable ride when you get on the freeway. Yeah, they did a great job. It really is a good cruising car. I mean, you can spend hours and hours in it and be totally cool with going for a couple more hours. So. Except for that rattling freaking steering bushing. That I, <laughs> I don't know, man. You just got to fix that thing. I got, I'll do it. it. So much more. <laughs> I will. I will. Okay, so what is the furthest you've driven your car in the years that you've had it? Um, and it actually was that like 500-mile trip from Sandusky, Ohio, back to Appleton, Wisconsin, um, when I first bought the car. Mostly, I have taken it to uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, for a friend's wedding. But really, I keep to Wisconsin mostly, and I've taken it down to DMC Midwest a couple of times for um, every couple of years they do an open house. I've had it there for that. Almost everything I've been able to fix myself, except for like the air conditioning. Uh, I you know don't have the gauges and tools and stuff for that, and I had the torsion bars adjusted, and I really wanted someone who knew what they were doing to fix that rather than, you know, shatter my back window by trying to do it myself. <laughs> but yeah, I, I get around Wisconsin and, you know, drive to work. My commute is like 70 miles each way. So a couple times a year, I'll take it to work and, you know, get it out on the highway. 70 miles, that's rough, but at least you can enjoy the car. And I'm I'm guessing the guys at work enjoy it as well. Yeah, it's always like an event whenever I bring it in because everybody wants to see it. You know, even if they've seen it before, it's like, oh, you know, i got to go check it out again. Or, you know, there's somebody new in the office that hasn't seen it. Right. You know, some of the guys, like, roll their eyes because they're like, oh, now I have to listen to, you know, Mark talk about his DeLorean again and hear the same, you know, spiel. <laughs> yeah, people enjoy it, you know, no matter where you go, really. it's You kind of have to be prepared to talk to people about it when you take it out. Oh, yeah. You know this. Um, yeah. Like, if you're in a bad mood and don't want to talk to anyone, you you know, pick a different car to take because exactly. somebody's going to want to talk to you then. You know, it always happens on the day that, you know, you're like in a rush to go somewhere that someone wants to talk to you off about their uncle that owned one. Or... Right, right. Or I've I've had two of those experiences where I was in a rush. I should have left 15 minutes ago. And sure enough, there's somebody at the car when I go out to, you know, get in. And I feel bad because I don't want to say, hey, I'm, I normally would talk, but I got to run because they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. Can I just get one picture? And then that turns into another yeah. one. And, and I, I'm I'm the guy that always says, oh, hey, you got to get in the car as well. So I always put in the driver's seat and get the picture. Yeah. How often? You don't get to see the DeLoreans that often. It's almost like your responsibility. I mean, <laughs> to a certain degree, like, yes. you know, 
it may be the only time they'll ever see a DeLorean in their life, you know? Yeah. So it's, you kind of, you don't owe people, but you kind of, you know, give them a positive experience and you're like representing the mark yes. and representing DeLorean owners in general. So you kind of, you can't be like a huge dick to everybody. Yeah. Cause it kind of, you know, it would sour it for everybody cause they may never see another DeLorean again. Yeah. If you don't want to share it with someone and you know, you're in a rush, that doesn't make you like a bad owner, you know, like <laughs> yeah. people are, you know, people are who they are and maybe they just, you know, want to, keep to themselves it is tough to own a door and not be you know ready to talk about it at a moment's notice but yeah people want to talk about it yep do you belong to any delorean clubs near you is there are there any delorean clubs near you there are there's a delorean midwest connection um i'm not a member but i mean a lot of those same guys are on um dmc talk rich wise and so and uh dennis i can't remember his last name at the moment I'm a born and raised California guy. I've been to the Midwest and any place other than the West Coast a handful of times. I have no idea what clubs are like out there. Primarily, are the most of the members 10 miles or 100 miles away from you or 200 miles away? Well, I'm pretty far north up in Wisconsin. The town that I live in, there's me and there's that one other car that I saw, you know, when I was 11. <laughs> and then you go maybe 50 miles and there's another one in Appleton, that one guy I know and you wow. know, 60 miles south of me, there's, you know, another guy in the Wisconsin Dells. Um, once you start getting closer to Chicago though, there's a pretty good concentration of them. And that's kind of where the, the Midwest DeLorean club is based. They're very okay. close to BMC Midwest, the, the service center that's part Got of BMC it. Houston. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, around Chicago, there's a pretty good base of other owners. And then, you know, hmm. some guys from, there's a couple from Iowa and a few from Indiana. Um, so, once you start getting further east from there, then you start getting into the Ohio DeLorean Owners Club, which is quite large because of KPAC being located there. Right. And the parts were shipped over from Northern Ireland. Yeah. They were all in Ohio for a while. So For a long there's while. a lot of people. I am spoiled because I grew up in L.A. I lived in Seattle for many years. I've... I don't see a lot of DeLoreans, but I've seen plenty of DeLoreans in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, where you're living, yeah, that does make sense. It is very likely that there are people that will never see another DeLorean in their life except for you getting gas or at the in the, you know, in the parking lot. There there's just not a lot of cars out there. It's yeah, it's pretty sparse in some of the areas out here. A couple of silly questions that I would sure. like to start asking everybody that I talk to that has a DeLorean. Uh, how do you clean the stainless? Um, about once a year, I use Barkeeper's Friend. And okay. I think most DeLorean owners are aware of what that is. It's almost like Comet. It's like a powdered, powdered cleaning product that deeply cleans the stainless and removes the oxidation. Um, and I'll either use a sponge with that or a Scotch-Brite pad, kind of okay. like drain it and clean it at the same time. All right. But the, between cleanings, I usually just use a uh, window cleaner, like invisible glass or um, Napa actually makes this really good glass cleaner and a aerosol can that's like foaming. And that's oh. great for getting rid of uh, fingerprints because, you know, okay. collect fingerprints like no other. Yeah, some people do like a polish or they, you know, put some type of wax, but I've always been a fan of just the bare stainless, nothing on it. Yeah. But just really well cleaned and, you know, Barkeeper's Friend is a great job of doing that. Have you ever tried the liquid Barkeeper's Friend? 
yeah, this stuff's great too. It's a little easier to manage than the powdered stuff, which gets everywhere. And then <laughs> you end up with white powder, you know, in the cracks everywhere. And that's <laughs> when the cocaine joke starts. So you got to really rinse it good, <laughs> rinse it well. So generally, do you use the liquid or the powder? Um, I use the liquid now more. I tried the powder. I think I used one can's worth and then switched over to the liquid stuff. All right. Um, either works just as well, really. Liquid Barkeeper, and, and do you use the specific pad for graining, or do you just use a, a softer one that is just going to scrub, but it's not going to regrain? For graining, well, for with the Barkeeper's friend, I'll usually sprinkle it onto a, or, you know, squeeze it into a brown scotch bright pad. So okay. do, somehow, you know, you get scratches here along the way, and yeah. it doesn't line up exactly with the grain. Sure. Once a year is about, you know, when I do that. I think it's actually been a couple of years now since I've done it. Oh, all right. The glass cleaner, too, I don't know if there's something in there. If it's, I use the non-ammonia glass cleaner. It keeps the oxidation kind of at a lower level where it's more of, you know, it keeps it more of like a silver color than a gray color. Yeah. So I kind of dig that look. And the water, you know, just beads off of it. See, now I'm also wondering about different locations because you have colder temperatures and snow and things like that. I don't have that here. I also don't yeah, feel, yeah, but I don't feel like my car is as crisp and clean as other DeLoreans I've seen. I'm a little embarrassed to say that since I've gotten the car, I've done regular washes on it, you know, just soap and water or, you know, a pressure washer to try to get the you know rims clean. But I, I never feel like the car is really, that the, the stainless is clean. I just feel like it, it looks like it's got dirt in the, you know, in the grooves. So that's why I, Keep trying to get different people to give me their exact details. So you're using the the liquid barkeepers and a and a brown Scotch Brite pad. Yep. With the gray. Yeah, I gotta give props to uh, Mike Walterbeek. He was probably the first guy to use Barkeepers Friend. It never really gets people just assume like that everyone's been using that stuff forever, <laughs> and it comes up all the time on the DeLorean forums. But yeah. there was a post by him a long time ago. Um, and he's like, Hey, I tried this stuff and it's amazing. You should try it. And like everyone just, you know, became kind of this ubiquitous thing that, you know, use barkeeper's friend for super bright stainless. All right. So I, I rarely see his name associated with that. So I have to drop his name. He lives actually, uh, closer to San Francisco up there in, in California. Oh, okay. Okay. Good tip. My last question. I have uh, struggled with this, but I'm interested in finding out what other DeLorean owners have uh, are dealing doing for it what is in the trunk of your delorean right now i have a zilla toolkit which i'm not sure how common those are it uh i mentioned that my car had all the other zilla upgrades like lockzilla and tankzilla and uh-huh. and whatnot but it's like a green a green toolkit that i don't think i've ever opened actually but it's got you know wrenches and sockets and stuff like that just basic tools that i think you know the previous owner bought when he bought some of the other Zilla upgrades. And then I've got some spare brake fluid, some Castrol GTLMA, some coolant. Uh, I had some flyers in there from a car show that I did. And I've just got some spare belts for the alternator and for the AC compressor. And then a couple, you know, I got my can of window cleaner and a towel. So that's all I really got in there. I'm surprised at how many uh, mechanical things you have in there with regard to brake fluid and belts, but I also forget you live, uh, you don't live in a city center. Yeah, I mean, I'm not living totally like in the sticks. Like, 
I'm, you know, the, the town that I live in is, I think there's 30,000 people in it, so it's not tiny, but, okay. you know, if I were to break down between here and work, you know, I could be, <laughs> could be a little ways away from civilization, so it's, it's nice to have at least some basic tools in there, you know. Got it. Got I have it. had to top off brake fluid, you know, in my car before, um, before I did all the restoration work, so that's just kind of learned from experience there. Haven't ever had to use, you know, the spare spare belts or anything like that. Some people go way off the rails and they've got spare fuel pumps and spare opium <laughs> relays and they're like prepared. Planning on just working on their car on the side of the road. Um, I'd really like to avoid that if all possible. So yeah. I kind of tend towards the preventative maintenance side. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're living in LA or you know LA area, and you know you can have your car towed back to DMC, California, in a matter of minutes, then you probably wouldn't need as much of that stuff. Exactly. All right. You had mentioned uh, the, oh, what do they call it? DMC Midwest uh, Homecoming? Uh, yeah, like open house. Every open house. Years, they just have, you know, all of their customers or you don't have to be a customer or an owner. Um, just they provide, you know, lunch at the shop and opportunity to talk about possible work that you might want done in your car or just sure. to talk to other owners and get to know people. You know, I'd, I'd relate it to, you know, like an owner or a, a car club meeting, basically, um, yeah. that's just sponsored by DMC Midwest. Well, I've heard that Texas might be doing one in 2017, and there's a couple people here that have, in L.A., that have driven out there in previous years. And there's a little part of me that says, hey, maybe I should drive my car out there. You know, I can I can that go to... That would be a fun trip, man. You should do it. <laughs> it'd be a fun trip. That's a little bit far. I, you know, that uh, while I have worked on cars in my life, I'm not shy about turning a wrench, but I have never done anything on the DeLorean. And I think I'd be more comfortable if there was a, a somewhat of a convoy. It doesn't have to be nose to tail, but if I knew that other people were coming through the same day, you know, within a day or two, that'd probably feel a little better. Yeah, for something like that, you probably shouldn't have any trouble finding, you know, a group of other owners in your yeah. neck of the woods to uh, to do that drive together. I actually started a thread for DCS this year to try and get some other Midwest owners, like Wisconsin area, yeah, to try and convoy down. Um, and there hasn't been a whole lot of interest. Um, but people are kind of leaving on different days and that kind of thing. Yeah, for a, exactly. For a one-day event like that down in Houston, you'd probably be able to find yeah a good group of people to all drive with and. If something did happen, then you got other people that aren't afraid to bust open some toolboxes and start <laughs> wrenching on the side of the road. Like right. some of the stories, like if you're if you're into that kind of thing, um, the DeLorean mailing list, it's kind of pre-based DMC talk. I um, if you search for my last name on DML, I've got stuff from like ninety six or ninety seven on there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's some great stories on there about people like heading out to Pigeon Forge or like <laughs> some of the other ones the other previous DCS shows. But just cool to read that stuff. Well, actually our... after I bought my car, I searched the previous owner on the BML oh. and like found this laundry list of stuff. Like I learned so much about my car. Like <laughs> that's awesome. I mentioned uh the guy that did Project Vixen, he actually worked on my car at a tech event that the previous owner brought to, you know, so like it's like this big full circle, you know, it's not that large of a community that you can get that kind of interaction between owners. Right. Right. Wow. Well, are you going to DCS? I will be. Yeah. Um, my plan is to leave on Thursday 
stick around. They're doing a documentary screening for uh, Out of Time, Saving the DeLorean Time Machine. Yep. And I have a brief role in that where I discuss, you know, some of my work on the restoration. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. It is a pleasure to talk to you. You've got some great stories, and I look forward to seeing you at DCS and hopefully see you one of these days uh, when you come to Disneyland. Thanks a lot. It was great talking to you. Thanks for joining me on another episode of DeLorean Talk. If you have ideas for topics, questions for other DeLorean owners, or if you're a fan, send in questions to comments at DeLoreanTalk.com. And if you are a DeLorean owner, check out DeLoreanDirectory.com and look at the VIN tracker section. We're trying to build up a fresh list of all the DeLoreans out there, where they're at, what their status is, and... There's a lot of other information on the site, so check out DeLoreanDirectory.com. Thanks for listening, and don't forget the Windex.